All right, hello, welcome to the At YouTube Podcast, episode number 41. We're talking all things U2, new album news, tour dates, all that stuff. But in particular, we're talking album by album, and this is the Joshua Tree episode. A little album that dropped in uh, the late 80s, perhaps you've heard of it. Our hosts, our guest hosts, our co-hosts, whatever they're called, have hopefully heard of it as well and listened to it occasionally. I'm joined by Mr. Matt McGee. Welcome to the show, Matt. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm well. I thought you were going to do your Scottish accent, but I guess we'll save that for our final guest. I, yes, yes. I don't dare do that in his presence. <laughs> I'm going to dare you to try later, but we'll see. Uh, Becky, welcome back to the show. All right. Thanks. Hey, Chris. Hey. And uh, finally, from across the pond, uh, Mr. Kenny is back. <laughs> hi, Chris. <laughs> That's it? That's all we get? Yes. Just a hi, Chris? Has been a murder. No, we can do I need more from you, Kenny. I need more. <laughs> the people demand more. Oh, no. No, come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm blushing. I'm blushing. You're blushing. Well, we'll all work on uh, properly enunciating our words and making sure this episode goes well. We are recording this pre-Cleveland, so but you'll be hearing it post-Cleveland, post-Dublin, post-U240. So we'll pretend we had a great time in Cleveland and Dublin, as we will. That was I'm sure. awesome, wasn't it? Yeah, especially when the whole band showed Magic. up and Magic. at both venues. <laughs> right, that time when that thing happened and then yeah. we did that other. Yeah, that was That man, was crazy. Unforgettable. Got, got so crazy. It was great to meet you on the plane, Matt, and uh, yes. put a face to your name. But the question is, does he smell like a rock star? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, he does. I can attest to that now. After traveling with him on a plane, he definitely smells like a rock star. <laughs> Chris, I'm in seat 12C, by the way. Just after Are you? Oh, I, didn't, I still didn't need to check in. Or I did check. I, I don't know. I'm screwed up now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, a bit of listener follow-up from episode 39, a couple episodes ago. Uh, Tasula's comment about propaganda printing lyrics to uh, The Unforgettable Fire and hearing from Cecilia about a lyric question. Uh, this is from Daryl, listener Daryl. His own experiences with Cecilia was also lyrics related. She actually sent a photocopied lyrics to all the albums up through The Unforgettable Fire. Awesome on two counts to get a response from their fan club and for the responder to be Larry's sister. Enjoy the cast podcast. So thanks, Daryl, for that feedback and very cool. I don't imagine these days uh, Cecilia sends out <laughs> handwritten or photocopied copies of every lyric for every album. That would be quite the uh, envelope if you did, but uh, very cool that back in the day she did. So um we have got a couple of uh, listener questions sent in through the or comments through the uh, using hashtag ask at you to send that in on Twitter. It'll magically come to us using the hashtag ask at you to first up was from Alan at ALSY01. I don't know. How, yeah, I was trying to phonetically pronounce that one. I don't know how you begin to explain that one. But what is your favorite food that you put into your Joshua Tree lunchbox? His is onion Baha'i, is that how you said it? From last night's curry. <laughs> so did anybody actually have a Joshua? He's got a photo that we'll put in the show notes of his Joshua Tree lunchbox. And I actually have a Joshua Tree lunchbox that I found on Amazon.com like two years ago. Oh, really? And it's it was only like six or eight bucks. And it's this it's really cool. And so you should all get one. It's the like the oh. the coolest and most inexpensive uh, Christmas holiday gift you can get somebody like yourself. And yeah, so so what is my favorite food? I don't dare put a food into my Joshua Tree lunchbox. I have never opened it. In fact, would you like me to open it right now? Because I have it right over here. Is this the first time you're cracking? What if there's like a, a snack inside from? 
Well, I've shaken. There's see, I, I'm shaking it right now, and there's nothing inside. So hold on. Imagine me at my desk holding the Joshua Tree lunch, lunch ball. I'll do play by play. I used to do this for sports. So now I have it, and I'm going to. Can you hear that click? Yeah. I am opening Sounds Joshua like Tree lunchbox. Oh, it smells like rock star inside. <laughs> <laughs> That's better than smelling like last night's curry. Alan's eating. <laughs> That's right. No, I've n- I do have a Joshua Tree lunchbox. I have never put anything inside it. It is a display item. All right. Well, where do you keep it displayed? On uh, on my, I have a double bookshelf of all my YouTube pair. Paraphernalia, oh. collectors' items, and CDs, and books, and all that sort of stuff. It's, so it's like one shelf above the fly shades. Just if you're bring it home. <laughs> well, if you post a picture, if, if somehow you can figure out how to post pictures of the of said lunchbox, we'll we'll include that in the show notes. But Alan's got his in the in the show notes for sure, along with his lunch beside it. So it's I'm guessing it's a currently used item which is is great and uh yeah i don't know if i've never had a joshua tree lunchbox but if you if you have maybe send it in send a photo of your uh joshua tree lunchbox that <laughs> have they ever right. made a joshua tree uh or i mean a uh, album uh lunchbox since then is that <laughs> i can't imagine this is a th- like is this actually official youtube merchandise or is this like a do you know the, lu- the lunchbox yeah 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 um, like, yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty sure official. it is yeah 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 I don't have one, but it's official. It's very well made. It's 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 ready for use. All right. So you never. This has got to be the wildest two minutes of history. <laughs> so Fernanda said she has one. I, yeah, yeah. I've Fernanda in the chat room's got I've one got as a well. Mug. Does that count? You've got a Joshua Tree mug. Yeah. All right. Does that count? And I use mine, so there you go. Wow. So Becky, you and are you? Do you have any Joshua Tree paraphernalia besides have, like a shirt or something? What? Okay, but the story of my shirt is really cool. Okay. <laughs> well, it's not. It's okay. It's not that cool. Did you spill curry on it? I think I must have bought it outdoors. You know, going to the show, and it's you know typical white T-shirt. But that thing, I still have it, and it's so tattered and torn up that I keep it very safely set aside in its own place, and I never pick it up because it's going to fall apart. <laughs> So I'm trying to figure out, like, along with some of the other shirts that I just never wear, that I might put them into a YouTube quilt or something like that. I haven't mm. figured it out. There you but go. Um, that is my prized possession because it was my first YouTube tour. Oh, cool. All right. Actually. First time I saw them live was on the Joshua Tree tour. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that sort of brings us to uh, one of uh, another response that someone sent in, at jabw. Ten said, I wish every fan could experience driving through the California desert while listening to Joshua Tree. The two are so clearly bonded cinematic songs. And uh, Matt, you you would agree? A hundred thousand percent. That's, um, you know, look, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll make this quick. Like from the time I was, you know, able to walk and talk, I had a fascination with California. And I don't know why, but I grew up in Pennsylvania, the other side of the country. So I always, so I ended up going to college in California. Always wanted to be in California. Always wanted to be on the West Coast, and so that's you know like that's one reason why I love the song California. And so yes, driving up and down Pacific Coast Highway with this album on, with the Josh Tree on, driving out to the site of the actual tree with this album on, just driving through the California desert. I lived. My wife and I lived in uh, in a small town in the, on the eastern side of the Sierra Nevada mountains for uh, about a year and a half, two years, and 
just you know drove up and down the, the you know the desert side of the state and just yeah just a religious experience just blaring this album so totally agree with uh, with JABW10 nice shouting at the top of your lungs singing along I'm assuming totally yep <laughs> you bet <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we'll get right into the roundtable where we're discussing, uh, of course, discussing the Joshua Tree. And uh, but if you have comments and suggestions and topics and things and feedback you want to send into the show, like we said earlier, you can use hashtag Ask at You Two on Twitter, and uh, we'll get that and talk about it in a future episode. Read your comments or debate whatever you happen to suggest or give us feedback on. So, um, as we mentioned, we're going album by album song by song through YouTube's discography. I can never say that word. We started out back on episode number 34, goodstuff.fm slash ATU2 slash 34 with boy. And we're all the way up to Joshua tree. So, um, just setting up a, a bit of a picture, I guess, for where you two was at during the recording. And we'll throw it to Matt here just cause I know he's, he's literally written a book on some of this stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah, where was you two at during the recording? I mean, this was, you know, they, they, I mean, we talked a little bit about um, Live Aid on, I think, on the last podcast, because I was on The Unforgettable Fire, and that sort of led into uh, to, to Live Aid, that sort of stuff. Um, and so this was a time, you know, a very intense uh, movement, especially on Bono's part, uh, to, into sort of the, you know, the social activism that... Um, you know, that he's well known for now and that the band is well known for now, right? So, you know, after Live Aid, Bono and Ali went to Ethiopia, uh, which, you know, we know influenced some of the music on the Joshua Tree. Then a year later, uh, he and Ali went to Central America in 1986, which influenced, you know, Bullet the Blue Sky. Um, Bono did the Sun City Project, Artists Against Apartheid. Uh, he met Keith Richards and Lou Reed for the first time. Uh, Silver and Gold was written, you know, based on that. There was the Amnesty International tour. There was self-aid in Dublin in 86. There was also the death of Greg Carroll in 86. So all this, you know, all of these things sort of, you know, kind of produced what we know, you know, what the Joshua Tree is. I mean, I, you know, you can kind of trace pretty much every song on the album to a lot of these experiences that they went through. And so that's, uh, you know, Joshua Tree is... You know, it's timeless, but it's also very much a snapshot of what the band was was doing in this period after the Unforgettable Fire and after Live Aid. Yeah, it's often it seems like one of those albums that for the casual U2 fan or the non U2 fan who just hears the songs on the radio, they hear the the sort of love emotion stuff of uh, with or without you or that kind of thing, and still haven't found what I'm looking for. But the the politics of the band really sort of caught fire, I think, in this this album. And like you said, with the, the history of where they'd been and, and all that kind of stuff influencing the lyric as well as the instrumentation of the, the album. Um, it's kind of like the perfect storm of all of that coming together that you had glimpses of previously. And uh, and obviously why, you know, part of the reason why anyways, the album went went on to do fairly well as they say. <laughs> yeah exactly and it's so well, different from you know from a lot of the other stuff you know this i guess is kind of cliche even for for us at this point but you know a lot of the other stuff that was on the radio at this time and you know the synth bands were really popular and there just wasn't a whole lot of stuff going on that you you know a lot of the the things that that u2 was getting interested in 
were kind of, I guess, you know, unique. And, you know, Live Aid sort of prompted some other artists to, to do some of the same things. But, um, you know, they certainly took it to a different level with the, uh, you know, the level of activity and, and you know, interest in, in, in social causes and, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, and the other thing that was happening is, and I think this is one of the reasons I was so drawn to this album, Bono was writing better lyrics. He was, he was in, I think in his language, he said, I was writing words. I was improving how I was writing words, and he focused on it more in this period compared to what he had been doing prior to this, where he was just kind of going along and trying to just put the words into the music. And then I was reading again today, I was looking back at a few things uh, that Larry had written, and he said on this album, it became about the song, not just doing music for Bono's lyrics or the other way around, but it really became them all focusing on the song. So I think this is when they really started to change their craft, or maybe some people would say reach the pinnacle of it, depending on who you are. <laughs> but it was a really important album for them, obviously. And lyrically and musically, there was so much they did differently than they had before. Yeah. And it's kind of the, you know, obviously in the, the album name and artwork, uh, a bit of an exploration of America as a concept and, and that sort of starting down that road as well. Um, but, uh, but definitely, uh, yeah, a worldwide, uh, worldwide seller, worldwide blockbuster, blockbuster album for them. Um, so Matt, you had put some, just some bullet points, I guess, of some of the like sort of album reception sales stats, that kind of stuff um, that it had when it came out. Yeah. I mean, you know, just we, we know off the top of our head how popular it was, but you know, just to, if you, just for numbers, uh, fastest selling album in, in British history, 300,000 copies in the first two days, which is incredible. Uh, it entered the billboard chart here in the U S at number seven. So it was the band's first top album in the U.S. It was the first album to sell a million CDs in the U.S. It was also the first um, first album ever where the vinyl, the cassette, and the CD were released on the same day. Back in those days, I don't know if you guys remember or if you're <laughs> even old enough, Chris, <laughs> but back in those days, the CDs usually didn't get released until about two, three weeks after the album came out. So you, you're, you, you know, if you wanted it the first day, you were going to buy the cassette or the vinyl, and if you wanted the CD, you had to wait a little while. But this is the first album that all three were released uh, on the actual, you know, the, the very first day. Um, and then, and then one one review quote that I remember uh, that, and I put in the notes, uh, Robert Hilburn in the LA Times, he said that um, that this is the album that you know confirmed that U2 is what the Rolling Stones used to be, which is the greatest rock and roll band in the world. So you know, very high praise, and the album was just you know. It, the reviews were phenomenal, you know, just very, very, you know, significantly, you know, four star, five star reviews across the board. So Kenny, we haven't heard from you yet. Where, where were you at and what do you, what did you sort of think of Josh, the Joshua tree when it dropped and, and did you pick up the vinyl, the tape or the CD or all three? What did you do? <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah, where was I at? Um, Actually, my kind of memories of this of, of the album, part of like it's a fantastic album, which kind of just goes without saying, uh, was the kind of progression, if you want, from um, from the Unforgettable Fire, and selfishly at that time, I probably kind of saw you two a wee bit as my kind of garage punk band that suddenly went huge <laughs> uh, on off the back of that album, 
Um, and I always remember at the time thinking, oh, crikey, I can't believe that everybody else has kind of found out what I kind of already knew. Um, uh, and that's my kind of lasting memory. I bought the the album um, and I always remember sitting down in my bedroom uh, at home and I'd, I'd, I'd been, I can't even remember where I'd been working, but I'd, does anyone remember Stack Stereos? I'm probably, I'm really showing my age now where you had <laughs> separate sections and all this kind of stuff. I had one uh, of those. Yeah, mm-hmm, and I remember, mm-hmm. I remember putting it on, opening up gatefold sleeve, thinking this is just the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life, um, and putting it on. And I, th- I don't think it came off the the record player for for months. It was just on all the time. So it was, um, uh, and and I know we'll get into talking about particular songs and stuff like that. But it just absolutely blew me away. Uh, so as I say, my memory of it was was simply, and actually it was quite weird. I wasn't, I probably wasn't as tuned into all the. I knew the conspiracy stuff was going on because I subscribed to propaganda and all that kind of sort of stuff then. And uh, I think it was called propaganda then, wasn't it? I can't really remember now. But um, so there was a lot. I, I was aware of stuff going on, but I probably wasn't as tuned in media wise. So I kind of almost arrived in a bit of a haze from the unforgettable fire to that album. And as I say, my always lasting memory was, oh no, everybody else has found out what I already new um if, if that makes any sense so but, yep. uh, was it a bit I, of I like my my big band my band is sold out kind of thing or just like oh well now i'm not do you know i do you know i i don't know if i quite went there um but i do remember thinking crikey they've gone to the sort of popular masses but the songs were just so good um I, you know I, I don't think i I don't think I went went as far as that, but I'm sure the thought crossed my mind at the time, thinking, you know what, these guys are huge all of a sudden. They're playing stadiums and all this kind of stuff. So, um, but that that was my kind of sort of lasting memory of it all. But I mean, it didn't really last that long, um, if I'm honest, because as I say, you get too into the music. I mean, it's just the most immense album ever. Artwork's fantastic. Um, I know they all look miserable as sin, but um, you know. Um, it's still, I mean, it's iconic, really, isn't it? Um, and, and I just think everything they did round about that whole album, the whole production, the B-sides, the, the imagery, they just they hit the sweet spot. They, they got it so right. Um, so so that's kind of where my head was on it, actually. Yeah, I, I, I always, it's funny when people sort of do that whole, like, my band, my favorite band is sold out thing, and, and you look at an album like this and... Uh, and to, uh, you know, you could write maybe a one hit single or something that's targeted for whatever the zeitgeist is at the time, but to have a album full of songs like this, you know, whether you like the second side as much as the first side or not, but still to be able to calculate <laughs> all that to put together is a, a pretty big leap. And, uh, I think it's just like Matt said at the beginning of, uh, just a great sort of summation of where they were at at the time and what they'd experienced yeah. and, and putting that into music as they, they do so well. So, um, but yeah, all right. Well, let's uh, get into the album and song by song discussion. With uh, I think most, almost any U two fan would probably be well aware of even the track order. But uh, we'll start off with where the streets have no name. I'll just I'll say, just say this real quick in one sentence: the greatest song ever written. <laughs> End of discussion. 
You're not actually going to drop your mic. You're just <laughs> podcast is over. Right there. No, you know, just uh, just to, you know, just to expand on this, I, I I said this. If if anyone remembers, a couple years ago, I wrote um, I wrote something for YouTube.com, the official site. They reached out and and they were having a bunch of people, you know, submit like their their favorite. I don't remember what it was called, like their song list or their track list or whatever. And and so I put this at the at the you know, the, as the number one song on my, my YouTube track list. And the thing I said, and this is what I still, you know, I hold on to this today, is that whenever it's tour time for you two, and as, you know, we get, we're all getting older, the band themselves are getting older, and, you know, you have to start thinking about the fact that there, this is not going to last forever. And the thing that scares the hell out of me is that there's going to come a day where I'm not going to be able to hear this song live ever again. And I, that makes me so sad to think that that's going to happen because the hearing that song live is just, it just gives me energy to, you know, just to, it's like, you know, I don't know. There's no words for it. It's just, that's, that's what keeps me going at sometimes. So mm. yeah, I mean, that's, that song's everything to me. So I, that's, that's enough out of me. <laughs> I love being in a concert with you, Matt, and this, this, sh- song comes on it's like watching you it's just oh, insanely gosh. awesome <laughs> you're supposed to watch the band i do but when you're on the floor somewhere near me or whatever i've had the <laughs> it, it's just fun like when we all have our songs right yeah. and you know you guys have seen me on certain songs and then but you just it, you're so you're so joyful and yeah, it's awesome it's just, to watch. this song that song just brings it all out that's just yeah, yeah. that's every, everything for me and do you do you remember i guess it's hard to go back obviously over however many times you've heard it live to that moment when you heard it the first time could was there like obviously as a u2 fan we know it's a great song and and but going back to like the first time you heard i, I can picture being in my friend's basement sitting around playing pool and having the song come on and 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 thinking like it just the the sort of qu- the intro, which I don't have queued up here, but intros, you know, just kind of filling the room, and it's just hard not to like either. Either it's so like in your face that you're like annoyed by the fact that it's like this anthemic kind of intro, or you just instantly get the chills that most U two fans do. <laughs> but like putting yourself back to when you first heard it, uh, even Kenny, I don't know, like when you turned up your radio or record player and have this come on as the first song. Take it back to that moment. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's hairs on the back of your neck stuff, mm. really, isn't it? And and I know, um, you know, I mean, apart from, I mean, the opening 30 seconds um, is so atmospheric. And then it just kind of, it kind of builds you up and then it kind of just throws you into this kind of uh, immense, um, uh, I'll try to come up with some words that don't sound very dodgy, actually, but it's, it's just, uh, it's just, I mean, it does. It just completely throws you, and and I'm kind of like, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm probably going to say something which is a bit uh, a bit unpopular. I wouldn't say it's my favourite U2 song, unlike Matt, but uh, I do think you know I love it live, um, and I couldn't think of a better way to open up an album actually, um, mm-hmm. and um, it's uh, yeah, I mean it's just completely mind blowing, and of course then you've got the video that goes along with it all, and you know uh, on top of the the liquor store and all that. And that's always what comes to mind when I ever think about that song as well. But I think that sort of first 30 seconds or whatever else does kind of bring that whole sort of desert atmosphere piece to it. 
Um, absolutely amazing. Love it. Yeah, we don't we don't have time for the story because the podcast, you know, we try to keep this at a reasonable length. But remind me on a future podcast or sometime we're all together and I'll tell you the story about driving into Los Angeles to try to watch the the video mm. shoot and how it got sabotaged and we actually missed it by twenty minutes. Oh, so. shoot. <laughs> oh. <laughs> bummer. Well, there you go. Something for a future a teaser for a future episode. I was gonna we we should have almost is it's one of those songs where you could have like specified your favorite version of the live because they you know they frequently this is one of the songs they do change up a little bit or make appropriate for each tour depending on how like sonically and stuff musically they do different things and for me it's always locked into the pop mart version actually that which isn't interesting isn't necessarily the the best version i don't think or like but musically wise or something the way because it it goes uh unless i'm horribly remembering things wrong goes from streets into please right or am I thinking of no? Please, you're no. You're got, other way around. It's, it's, yeah, it's other, other way around. Yeah, and please, the street, which was just amazing. Yeah, oh so that's God. what I was always the that uh, the pop or uh, the please single. I think that had the the live version of that. I just played that over and over. Play along with yeah. my guitar and butchered where the streets because it's hard to play. And then, anyways, <laughs> moving right along. Otherwise, we're going to end up into a three hour podcast pretty quickly. <laughs> So this one for me, uh, speaking of playing it on guitar anyways, was always kind of like uh, one of those songs as a guitar player and a, a, someone who's attempting to write songs. It was like so so frustrating in a way because it's like he just plays the same riff over and over. How can you do, get away with that? But then um, when you actually like I've played it with a band, some like a YouTube cover band one night and then just playing on my own along with the track or whatever. And it's just like an infectious little simple groove that Edge or a lick that Edge plays and then groove that Adam's playing beneath that that uh just makes to me makes it such a great fun song um and then of course video as well that sort of went along with it that was kind of goofy fun showed them having a little bit of fun with it which what could have been sort of like this deeply you know spiritual video or something that more like on the nose kind of thing but they sort of had a little more fun with it um and of course um live too is is obviously just a uh an anthem that the crowds all go along with and happily sing along to so um, anyone else have some comments on the, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I just love the guitar in it because it is so simple and you can just kind of sit there and sway to and fro and, <laughs> and the lyrics are so intense. I think this album has the most intense lyrics, especially as it goes sequentially. It's a perfect sequencing on the album and if I play the first note, I have to go to the end of the album. I can't listen to one song at a time. <laughs> I cannot do it. I've never been able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what actually the musically wise, you brought up something else I wanted to mention is the, I think it's on the classic albums, Joshua tree uh, documentary or whatever, where they talk with edge and he's the, he's asked something to the effect of like, what's your favorite, you know, musical contribution to this album or something like that and it's like the little uh it's like a d d sus chord or whatever at the end of this song where he's just playing the same thing an upstroke on the guitar over and over and he's just like and i hadn't really noticed before and then all of a sudden once i heard it i can't you can't unhear it kind of thing of what he's doing there but uh it was just like such a neat little peek into the the mind of him where he could very easily like 
shred and you know play crazy tons of notes obviously but his favorite thing is just a simple little melody that is playing underneath what's going on that uh he really dug so um all right let's keep moving on and we'll go with with or without you See this song, um, I wanted to talk about this song because it's kind of a wee bit controversial, I think, in the world of uh, U2 One, because for some people they think it's a bit old and tired, particularly in terms of, uh, you know, being played live. Um, and I was sitting down and I was trying to think about what I'd want to, to, to kind of say about it. And I was thinking about all the sort of phrases now, infinite guitar springs to mind, first time it appeared, um, so atmospheric. Um, and I remember sitting, listening to it, thinking, whoa, this is just, like, so different. Yeah, this is not what I was expecting to hear, and this was maybe part of my what's going on with you two here, and people are going to start discovering them uh, phase, I think. Um, Bono's vocals on this are just immense. Um, I mean, he's just, he hits it, he hits it on the nail, Um I think just the emotion that comes through when he sings that song, um, and and you know, look, I'll I'll I'm probably put my hand up say on occasions I have thought it got really tired, particularly the 360 tour. I just thought they looked like they were kind of going through the motions, but when they hit that song and they hit that song well, it's it's incredible, and he really captures it on the lyrics. Larry's drums are fantastic. That has some bass. I could go on and on. Um, obviously, this is the song as well. Was um, I think it was safe from the bin, wasn't it? I'm sure I read that somewhere. Uh, they'd actually ditched it because they couldn't get it to work, I think. And then somebody, I can't remember who it was, rescued it by all accounts. I think um, that was, was that Streets? I think that, yeah, I think that was Streets. Oh, was that Streets? Yeah. Am I getting confused? You know, or somebody uh, couldn't couldn't stand well, it or something. <laughs> I'm sure, I, I, I might have been wrong. I, I, yeah, yeah. Well, possibly as well. But anyway, um, I think... Um, but for me, I, I mean, I just think this is just a mind-blowing song. I mean, yeah, it's kind of lyrically dark, and I think Becky's right. There's some fantastic uh, lyrical um, ideas on this on this whole album. Um, but um, you know, it, it, it just it's so so different. And I think to this day, it stands out as being such a different type of U2 song, um, even in their entire catalogue and they've come out with some very very different songs but this one just still sits for me in terms of that actual uh, recorded uh, recorded song and of course and I think me and Matt have traded a couple of tweets on this one but um, the version on um, on Rattle and Hum I think is just the most amazing version ever live mm. and uh I just can't stop listening to that part. Of, I mean, I love Larry's drumming on it. I think it's absolutely what makes the song. But yeah, I agree, it's just 100%. so so good, so it so is. good, it's oh. so good. Interesting. I'm gonna have to go back and listen to the Randall Hunt version. Well, we'll, we'll hear. Hey, it. you're gonna <laughs> see it. You're yeah. gonna hear that in a couple of nights. I think. Actually, we already did as of right. Anyway, well, that's so you did. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> you forgot. <laughs> I was eating popcorn at that moment. I forgot to forgot to watch or something, something like that. Anyways, <laughs> but it is one of those ones too, where musically wise, it's like so deceptively simple. Especially Adam's bass line is just like the same thing, uh, eighth notes, or whatever, over and over, repeated throughout, and and yet 
the it's a testament i guess to songwriters music writers everywhere that you don't have to be crazy with it it's like the emotion of what you attach to these simple licks uh and and rhythms or whatever that really drive a song home and uh and yeah less is often more as often is the case with you two especially edge so um speaking of more let's go on to bullet blue sky Well, this for I me, mean, for me, this one is memories of as I mean, we talked about this earlier a couple songs ago. I think cranking the volume to eleven, uh, driving up Pacific Coast Highway during college, and just singing at the top of my lungs. This it's I mean, Bullet the Blue Sky is U two has a lot of of like mid tempo rock songs, right? Like I still haven't found what I'm looking for is mid tempo, and you know a lot of their hits. I, I would I would put in that in that that classification and this one is sort of you know one of the few that are really really loud really really aggressive songs um and so i love it for that reason i i remember i was talking ages ago to um one of the u2 associates that i bumped into along the way of doing at u2 and we were talking about things and that this person told me that both the blue sky was paul mcginnis's favorite u2 song and that paul mcginnis used to if they ever talked about not doing bullet during the concert he was like no 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 that has to be in there for me (laughs) (laughs) and so and so they finally you know i think they had it like on all their tours up until what they didn't do it on the 360 tour right and then Paul McGinnis stopped managing them. <laughs> he was really upset. Eh? He was, I think so- he was pissed, right? I think I think that's the hidden story here that we have to investigate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so I love it for that. Re- and and I just I love you know we talk about how what a great live song Streets is, and I, you know Bullet is almost at that same level for me. I think the version of Bullet that they did on Zoo TV with Edge's guitar yeah. solo is unbelievable, and oh, yeah. the version of yeah. Bullet that they did on the last tour uh, on the innocence and experience tour that was unbelievable too and i think it and i was so glad to see it back it's just i just love it because it's just one one of the few really really loud you know stomp your feet air drum the whole thing you know just rock songs that they have i mean i remember when they pulled this out obviously on tour in the joshua tree tour i was completely blown away i i mean this one totally totally stood out Probably to everybody else too, but it was so awesome just in the the dark, you know, and all you had was the spotlight, you know, and Bono running around with it. It was, I mean, the theatrics of it were great. It's loud and it's loud and it's loud. And actually the next best version for me was last year. I agree with you on the I&E tour. Yeah. Was it on the- I love how they, how they produced that version of it. Yeah, I I love how the, it's it's morphed. This is another one, uh, more, even more so than like streets, but where the, it morphs and and becomes whatever they need it to be for the times and the tour, and the theme and and politically whatever the climate is and and can kind of adapt and they're not afraid to you know mess up the 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 rant rap whatever in the middle and and play around with that and and even yeah just musically wise whether it starts with just Larry on a single drum or something or whatever and and not afraid to yeah to use it. And and shape it to whatever suits. Uh, it's not such a precious song that they have to 
you know, play it the same way every time or whatever. So, but I agree, Matt, it was like seeing the zoo TV video and, and thinking like I, where, and I wasn't sure if, if you two was, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, like hard enough for, <laughs> for this former guns and roses wannabe, um, then seeing something like bullet, the blue, blue sky and, and the solo and, and everything and the way they sort of presented the song was definitely enough to convince me that it was okay to like them. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, all right, let's keep moving on. This one for me uh, is almost like a counterpoint to the <laughs> bullet where it's the emotion of the song. Um, again, seeing the contrast from bullet to this on the zoo TV tour um, and both emotion from Bono and, you know, the theatrics that they put into the song. Um, and then we're talking about running to stand still in case anybody isn't aware. <laughs> I guess I didn't officially introduce it, but I'm sort of assuming, I think it's safe to assume, <laughs> but uh and and then also just the way musically again the way Edge played the the changed it up from the album version to the live Zoo TV version as a guitar player was just this interesting little lick and bend in the strings that he did that I just spent hours replicating uh, in in my basement and and trying to you know match exactly the way he was doing it and stuff and just again a simple little thing that paired with the lyric uh, and and rhythm section just made for a, a really deep emotional song that. Uh, I love to hear. So, um, how about anybody else with running a sense? This there? was this was all, this was my mom's favorite U two song, by the way. Oh, she, oh. Uh, you know, I would I would listen to um, you know obviously listen to the album constantly when I was home from college in the eighties and whenever, and she just loved the poetry of his lyrics. The uh, the uh, cry without weeping, talk without screaming, scream without raising. She that that line I think to her she would she would like recite that right. And so yeah, this was. Whenever I hear this song, I just I I just think this is the one my mom loves the most. Oh, nice. The other thing that I like about this song is uh, on the Josh. I think it's on the Joshua Tree documentary. They actually play a bit when they're messing about in the studio, and then the sun, the song suddenly comes and goes. Um, I think sort of Bono sort of uh, I think he links in with the melody and stuff like that, and, and I think they capture about fifteen seconds or something like that, and then off that they build the song, but. Um, I think it's just magical, and I agree with you, Matt. I think the, the the lyrics are fantastic. I mean, you know, she walks through the streets with her eyes painted red, etc. Oh. It's just great, isn't it? It's just it is. so yeah. It is um, for me. This song is about the color. Um, this album, they didn't throw paint at it; they painted it. And I think, oh, just the colors everywhere in the visuals. This song is color to me. In through the words in the music, any specific color or well, like Kenny was just saying, you know, with eyes painted red under a black belly of cloud in the rain, right, you know, it's right. like the whole, you know, white golden pearls stolen from the sea. She's raging, you know. I can visualize in her eyes, you know, the clouds. The yeah, I mean, it's bad part too, as we know, right? And it, it's just, and I don't have to go into that song, but it's one of my favorites, of course. And for this to come along behind that which i didn't know until they wrote their book actually that it was kind of like their part two and um explains a lot as to why i was drawn to it from the very start yeah it's such a yeah we can keep going but (laughs) 
yeah. visually it just paints such a good great picture with the lyrics of what what he's talking about and where and who and all that stuff of the yeah. situation they're going through and, and things like that so um all right so red hill mining town is next This uh, Red Hill Mining, mining Town, um, it's, it's a kind of, um, I think it's a kind of, I'm going to say a weird song, that's, that's the, the, not necessarily the words I'm actually looking for. Um, musically, I think it's uh, it's one of Borrow's, uh, I think, one of his strongest vocal performances. And actually, if you ever read the book, U2 by U2, Edge kind of actually slags the song off and says it's not necessarily... It's a bit of a mess up and they didn't really get it quite right and all that kind of sort of stuff. But it's one of these songs I always get drawn into whenever I listen to it. I think how Bono sings on it is, you know, it it, it's, uh, it really sucks you in. I don't know what it is. I wouldn't even say it's the rest of the lyrics on it because I think he was trying to describe um, you know, something kind of fairly political around about uh, the minor strike in, in the UK and stuff like that, which... To, to me, I don't really res- that doesn't really resonate with me. It's just how the song, um, how the song is, uh, which I'm sure uh, this is why I'm not employed by NME or anything like that. I hate some as well. Uh, <laughs> I'm really good at describing these sort of things, aren't I? But, but it just, I, I guess, all I'm just trying to say is musically, I think this is just real standout stuff, um, and I, I, I really love it to bits. Uh, the big faux pas with this song, of course, was the video, which they eventually released. And I was desperate to see the video. And then having seen the video, was absolutely understood why they never wanted anyone to see it. <laughs> it's absolutely appalling. So it is. Right. It's, it's cheese uh, with a capital ch. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there you go. <laughs> That's the best summary I of that. I kind of like the story of it. I'll say that. I, I mean, I like it. And. Bono's vocals are pretty amazing on it. I think that's catchy. You know, it's... But I like the story. <laughs> there was a, I think there was a time when the f- album first came out that I recall this being my favorite song on the album. I don't know how long that lasted, but I remember... I remember loving this song, and I agree with Kenny. I'm so glad they didn't release that video. <laughs> you think about how different things – we might not be doing this podcast right now if they had released that video. I set one career down down the pan, as they say, all over. Right. I know. Sometimes we are, or complain or, or get upset when they're not like more free with the archives or whatever, but sometimes they do know what they're doing when they hold back. <laughs> All right, let's keep moving on to uh, In God's Country. I love Adam's bass line in this song. This is I love that it's up-tempo again, like we were talking about a little earlier. Um, I love that it's a short, quick, you, you know, pop-slash-rock song. I love Edge's playing in it. But you know what I don't like? You know what, you know what else I don't like? <laughs> I don't like that the version that we get on in the movie Rattle and Hum, they skip the entire second 
set of the uh, second verse of the song. And so it's, it's like this, you know, three and a half minute song is like two and a half minutes in the movie. And I just felt like I got cheated out of one of my favorite songs in the movie. <laughs> Oh, because from your notes, I thought maybe you just didn't like the song at all. That's why I was like, wait, no, for no, no, I, this I, I, no, it's, a, it's, it's one of my faves. I just, I, and I love when they played it live on that tour and, and but then the one recorded, you know, for Buster yeah. version of it, it's missing the entire second. So anyway, but I, I really like in God's country. I do too. It's very catchy. And I like, again, the lyrics are visual and, um, you know, sad eyes, crooked crosses, and it, it's just so good. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, and uh, I, uh, like Matt said, I love the Adam's bass line in this. It's uh, surprisingly actually, like, the more I think about it, the the more Adam actually really holds this album together, and, and which isn't that big of a stretch for, like, a rhythm section or whatever to hold an album. But um, Edge definitely has his, his centerpieces and moments or whatever, but uh, Adam really drives a lot of what the, the album is sort of, uh, vibe is and stuff like that so um all right so uh, moving on to trip through your wires So we had one listener's uh, response when we said we were doing the Joshua Tree album. Uh, uh, U2 War 40 said, Trip Through Your Wires throws off this otherwise U2 masterpiece, Luminous Times or, oh shoot, I forgot to, what's WTTW? Walk to the Water. There you go. Would have been more cohesive. Um, So (laughs) Matt, what do you think of of that? You know, I I mean, I I wouldn't say that, that Trip Through Your Wires is like, you know, one of my favorites, but I think... I think it serves a purpose on this record. They, they, they and they've done this with a couple albums. It's Trip Through Your Wires is sort of this, this sort of this, you know, stomp your feet sort of a. I mean, it feels kind of country, and it's. I'm not sure how if how it's it's like a romp, I guess is the is the best way I would describe it. And I think it's put there on purpose because. The very next song is incredibly intense and incredibly meaningful and, you know, very dark. Uh, it's, you know, about the, the next song is about the, you know, in part at least about the death of Greg Carroll. So I think this song is there purposely. And they did the same thing on uh, All That You Can't Leave Behind, where you have another song that you 2 fans tend to slag off, which is Wild Honey. And that comes right before Peace on Earth. And those two, you know, I fully believe that those two are back-to-back for the exact same reason that Trip Through Your Wires is here before One Tree Hill. It's just sort of this contrast of this very, you know, sort of romp, sort of lighthearted thing. And then, you know, boom, we're hitting you over the head with something much more serious. I, so I think, it, I think it's important because, you know, Luminous Times and Walk to Your Water, love those songs, but... My goodness, that would be you know just a real stretch from One Tree Hill, then into Exit, and then mm-hmm. into Mothers of. The, I mean, that'd be yeah. some real heavy, heavy stuff. So, yeah. While I wouldn't say Trip is one of my favorites, I think it serves a very definite purpose on the album, and I understand why they put it there. Um, now, I like the song actually. I just think it's fun. It's snappy. I completely agree. It has a very specific purpose. I think the band has even said that before too, probably. And I also like Wild Honey, just for the record. But. Um, the I'd like it, and I think 
it would be really difficult to go through the rest of the album without that here. Yeah, I think on its own, it does f- sort of feel like a, a B-side. Um, like, just you know, if you jump to this track and weren't sort of going through the album, in my mind anyways, it, it does a bit, but... But I, I appreciate what Matt's saying, and and, uh, and I don't. It's one of those songs where I kind of initially, the intro makes me feel like I sh- I kind of want to skip it because it's not one of my faves. But um, but then lyrically and, and musically, once it gets going, you're I don't know. I'm hard pressed to want to skip it beyond that. So um, you can send hate mail to at Matt McGee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> weird. I, I'd always thought about it as being the kind of partner of in God's country, actually. I never thought about it that way, Matt, in terms of it sitting in front of one tree. And I get that, actually, now that you say that. It's kind of like, whoa, I haven't really thought about it that way before. Um, I quite like it, actually. I think it's kind of, you're right, it's maybe a bit of light relief when it gets quite heavy going, really, doesn't it? In terms of the sort of lyrical where was the of it. Not to cut you off, where was the A-side, B-side on this album? Did it end with Running to Standstill? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it does make for a nice sort of almost trilogy of songs that are are uh, with Red Hill Mining Town and God's Country and Trip Through Your Wires that you kind of get go through or whatever, um, and then uh, let's segue right into One Tree Hill. This song, uh, it's really hard for me to talk about this one. Um, it's beautiful. It's intense. It's a tribute to Greg Carroll, who was Bono's assistant, and he was uh, from New, e- New Zealand. You know, most people know the story by now, but he was killed in a very tragic motorcycle accident, and. It just tore them apart, and then I think for Bono, he said later it was reopening the wounds of his mother's death all over again, like every time. And um, I got to hear this song, and Matt knows this story, because I had just joined the At U2 staff, and I was in Chicago when they played this on the 360 tour. It They shut everything down. They were done. And then Bono picked up the guitar and they played it and I was trying to text Matt in between tears and tell him they're playing one tree hill. They're playing one tree hill. (laughs) (laughs) And I was completely freaking out. And it's like, I've talked about bad, but I have never cried through a song at one of their shows until that one. And it was in 2011. It took how many decades, right? Um, But I think the intensity and the love, you just feel it. And, um, after my dad passed away, this became very important to me too. So for me, it's got a deeper meaning. And um, but I just love the song and I love the lyrics. I love the music and what it stands for for them. Yeah, and I would just, I mean, everything Becky just said, uh, I would just put a ditto stamp on because, um, well, first I'll say that this is the song that makes me want to go see you two, you know, spend $3,000 to go see them play in New Zealand because they always play live there. And right. So I'm very jealous that Becky got to hear it here on U.S. soil. So maybe I'll get lucky at some point and have that experience. But, um, I mean, Becky just mentioned, you know, her dad's passing. My dad died a year and a half ago, early 2015. And I thought that Kite would be the song that I couldn't handle. 
but it's actually One Tree Hill is the song that I can't handle. Um, and whenever it comes on, it's just, you know, I mean, the, the, the line about, you know, I'll see you again when the stars froth in the sky. Mm. Just, I'm getting emotional right now just thinking about it. And so, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the song for me that just, uh, it's, if, you know, I, I, if they were to start playing it in concert, you know, next year or whenever, I might have to actually walk out because <laughs> I'm afraid of what might happen. I just, yeah. So it's, yeah, this song is, is unquestionably one of my top three or four U2 songs. Yeah, just stand there and let it rip. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hope, hey, hopefully you'll be there with me. We'll just, right, we'll just be puddles around us. <laughs> right. People will be like, what's wrong with those two? <laughs> there is a, uh, for anybody who hasn't seen it, I think it's the same one you're talking about, Becky, where they're on YouTube, there's a, somebody's posted a rip of uh, the video, or video uh, rip, <laughs> of, uh, from, of, uh, from Chicago of YouTube playing One Tree Hill. Yeah. Um, I won't play it right now, but I'm assuming that's what the same, one and the same. And then uh, there's another one from Auckland they played as well. So, um, yeah. but yeah, it's, it is one of those songs where you like, you wish they would play it more often, but you can kind of understand why they don't and just the emotional sort of it feels a bit probably like they're drumming up emotions to play this song that they don't necessarily always want to have to confront whenever they're playing live and yeah it's a testament i guess to their the the the, the type of artist and and whatever that they are that they authentically have those it's not just a performance always of of emotion sometimes bono kind of you know replays the same kind of emotion on a, on a live song but definitely there's some that are deeper than others for him sir certainly so right all right let's keep moving to exit right so uh exit um in particular after that last conversation uh, i mean this is this is one heavy song um it, it, i mean where bono's written it from um it, it's from the i keep you've been reading some books if memory serves me right and it was he was trying to write a song through the eyes of a killer or something like that um lyrically again it's it's, it's a bit of a theme obviously through this whole album um, it's pretty heavy, actually. I think, um, but the song itself is really heavy. Um, and uh, I actually remember. I mean, Matt, you were saying Red Hill um, was probably at one point. You know that your kind of sort of favourite song on there, and I've probably bounced around with with a lot of the songs on this album as being my favourite song. But I always remember after that first or second listen, thinking, "Whoa, that is something different." Yeah, um, and it is so quiet, and then it builds up, it builds up, and it gets really frantic, and then it kind of disappears and dissipates out. Um, you know, just in terms of the kind of mechanics of the song, um, uh, you know, I, you know, it kind of again takes you, it kind of blows your mind, really, it does mine. And I, I always remember seeing them playing this live on TV. It was on the tube, and I was sitting watching. This was a, a show in uh, in the UK. Um, and they actually played, I think they played In God's Country on that as well. It was just around about the time the album came out and they played Exit on that. And it was just mad, it was frantic, it was rough. Um, and I remember thinking, I'm really liking this. This is just so, so, so different. 
Um, and I know I think it, there's quite a lot of fans out there would like to actually see them play this um, uh, live. Um, I don't know how they would, to be honest, just simply because of either the nature of it and because of the the content of it, and it it kind of comes and goes uh, on rattle and hum, which I know we're going to talk about next time round. Um, you know, they obviously capture it really well there, um, but it's so so different and. I'm really not quite sure what else to say about it. I think it's quite a standout moment um, on the album. Um, and I do wonder why it sits there, actually, sometimes because of where the thinking was in relation to it. But yeah, it fits so perfectly in terms of the album. I remember having, uh, along those lines, Kenny, I, uh, I was in college when this album came out, I think I said, and my roommate at the time was not a huge U2 fan, but he obviously heard the album a million times because he was my roommate. And um, we, and so I, and so I was going to take him uh, to see them because I wanted him to become a U2 fan. So I was going to take him to see them at the LA Coliseum, November of 87. And so we were talking, uh, you know, one of the things that we kept talking about was this song. And he I was adamant that there was no way they would play this song in concert. It's too quiet. It's just kind of, you know, uh, and he was like, no, 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 this song will rock in concert. And of course they played it in concert and he was totally right. And I was totally wrong. And that's, yeah. So there you go. <laughs> I should have, I should have turned in my U2 fan card at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you didn't. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. This Me would be too. a very different podcast if, uh, <laughs> Yes, very much so. All right, uh, let's get to the final song of the album, Mothers of the Disappeared. This song for me, as a mother, uh, it breaks my heart and it makes me so angry all at the same time. And when all of these atrocities were happening in El Salvador or anywhere else in the world, and children are the innocent victims, um, and it took me a while to understand this song, and I would say a number of years actually, to have it really internalized. And now when I listen to it, you hear the sounds that are very intentional in here, like the rain, the heartbeats, the tears. It's all in there. And um, I just feel like, you know, I could, I, I never want to be a mother who feels what those mothers felt. But I feel like I can empathize with them some through this song. And um it, it took a long time to grow on me, but when it did, it it's just it's a crazy way to end the album. <laughs> it's like it seemed like a denouement to me for a long time, and now I think it's a really good way to end it. It's so intense yet so subtle in a way. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I'd be curious to hear what you guys. Yeah, think. I I love the um, I love any sort of like political undertones that they throw into their their lyrics and then musically like you said Becky as well just the 
the the subtle things that they throw in um, musically to sort of draw you into the song even more that um, you don't even pick up necessarily at first and um, and then also the the way that when it has been played live um, it was on the Pop Mart tour that they played in South America mm-hmm. and had the you know the mothers famously join them on stage for performance and if you've never heard that I'd really advise seeking it out somehow if there's a way to do that on the internet I don't know but <laughs> the uh, that version that's on the yeah on one of the concerts from that um just the the emotion and the the uh intensity of that song some what would that be uh, 15 years later kind of thing and still resonating uh with both the audience especially and and even listening to it you know half a world away where i was or whatever um but even just also the 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 guitar line uh, again it's a, a t- yeah. common sort of uh, theme i guess or, or style that edge uses with a droning sort of open string and and then a, a melody line playing underneath that or whatever um like bad and, and other songs like that but um just used to powerful effect i guess on a song like this where he doesn't necessarily want to overpower the lyrics but needs to sort of like help them find their way i guess to our ears if to be a too, little too artistic or whatever with it. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah I think, I think, I think my experience was, is pretty similar to sort of, I guess sort of a combination of what you guys were both talking about. I don't, th- I, I don't, I don't, I went, when this album came out, I wasn't aware of what this song is about. I wasn't aware of that as a, you know, as an issue um, with the, you know, the children being taken away uh, from their family. So it, it took me a while, uh, you know, as you guys were saying, to really relate to it and to sort of appreciate it. And Chris, you know, my experience, I think, is exactly like yours because it wasn't until probably that those Pop Mart performances with the mothers on stage and seeing the video of that. And that was incredibly emotional. I was like, mm. And it made me appreciate the song and made me sort of go back and want to understand what the song was was you know written about so yeah just it took me a while to get into um very heavy stuff and you know it's interesting because this was written before bono had any children um i guess edge would have had children by then is that right no yes i think yeah Yeah, maybe one i uh i just it's interesting that he had such a feel for it by his experience of going there, of course, but right, yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting because I, I, I always my my first impressions of this song. I, I was like you, Matt. I wasn't really tuned into what the issue was all about. Um, in, in terms of the album, I just saw it kind of like you know. So if you think about the start of it, streets kind of you know uh, draws you in with that sort of first twenty thirty seconds, and then kind of mothers kind of sort of pushes gently out um, of it just you know because of the, the uh, I guess the kind of almost like the speed of the song and all that kind of sort of stuff and it fades away and I always just I, I probably just saw it more as probably from that perspective as opposed to actually what it actually really meant I think it, it came alive obviously when you start understanding what it's all about as as do a lot of U2 songs or at least what they were trying to to talk about, but that was always my lasting impression of it was that was the kind of like the journey's over now, you know we've kind of thrown you about, bashed you about a wee bit, and now we're going to just gently let you uh, kind of down, um, and so you can get into recovery time, you know. Does <laughs> <laughs> that sound a bit dodgy? <laughs> mm. <laughs> mm, right. <laughs> 
and it is just a testament, I guess, to what the 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 song and the and the way that you two can craft a song that isn't so like um, in your face politically that you can't just enjoy it, and but also there is depth to the the songs that when and re- when you're ready maybe or or whatever the case or when you figure it out or whatever that what else is actually going on behind the scenes or at a deeper level with the uh, lyrically that uh it's it is there to be discovered i guess so um but yeah it's very cool and any closing comments from anybody before we wrap up this the joshua tree discussion crickets like on what? <laughs> this is the beginning. Are you playing the beginning of Exit right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, it's. I mean, it's, I mean, look, it's it's it's. I mean, it's hard to talk about you know one of their most popular albums and you know how great it is because it's kind of obvious that it's great because it's you know everybody loves it and owns it and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. This this album. There's just so many memories for me with this album and and. Yeah, I just I I love it for different reasons than I than I love the Unforgettable Fire. So, yeah, there there you go. Yeah, for me this is still continuing. I know Kenny and I have been going back and forth as we've been doing this album discussions, where he's coming to it fresh and I'm coming to it backwards from <laughs> Actung Baby, and so this is still one of those albums that was post I listened to or heard for the first time after I'd sort of heard Actung and working my way backwards. Obviously, you know everybody's anybody who had a radio had heard songs from the album, but okay. And that's what I was just going to ask you. It's, <laughs> it's not like I'd never. Surely, surely you knew of it and of yeah. them. Yeah, definitely. But it wasn't a band that I was even remotely into. Like it would have been pre-Actung anyways. For me, it was like a band that some friends maybe were into and I would have changed the station just as happily as left it on or whatever, which is heresy I know. So at Matt McGee is my uh, username <laughs> on Twitter if you want to send me a note. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's fun to sort of, that's what I've loved about this discussion is sort of getting the various perspectives on <laughs> on an album like this. Uh, so I have like a last driving off into the sunset type of story for this album. Um, I was out of college. I was living in new England and my parents were in Houston and I flew home for a weekend. I think somebody was getting married or something. And my dad had this really awesome sports car at the time. It was uh, one of the th- 280Zs with like the T-tops and it was oh, silver nice. and yes. it was fast. And, um, <laughs> You know, when I come home, he'd let me drive the car around. So let me tell you, I popped in the CD. <laughs> I would crank it up as loud as I could and play it from start to finish, no matter where I was. That's one one time that it's good that we have a big city and you have to drive a lot <laughs> because you can play a lot of good music. But um, this album, just uh, to this day, like I said, I have to play it from start to finish and that's that, but in the car, it's even better. Yeah, one of I mean, similarly, one of my favorite memories is in two thousand nine when we, when you two played uh, three sixty in Vegas, and a bunch of our crew was there for that, and we all drove out from Vegas to the site of the Joshua Tree, and of course, we you know we were in two separate cars, but we were all playing this album, you know, not and just singing and just I mean that was one of the that will forever be one of the great memories. Uh, that I have uh, related to this album, related to the website, and related to our crew. It's just that was just yeah. just so fun. I know. I wish I'd been there. That would have been fun. I wish you'd all had been there <laughs> for sure. I don't know. Well, but yeah, and it lives on. It yeah, lives there's on. photos on on at YouTube somewhere of that, right? I, th- I feel like. I, oh yeah, yeah. You, yeah. YouTube video photos, the whole nine yeah. yards. You did release those on like Red Hill Mining Town. 
Right. <laughs> yes, we did. We okay. we did release that. It did not. It did not shut us down. It did not ruin our career. Thank good. God. Good. Good. All right. Well, uh, where can folks find each of you? We'll go around the table uh, if they have some comments and and want to send you hate mail. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, agree with your assessments of Joshua Tree and uh, and and maybe want to uh, follow up with you from meeting you in Cleveland or or Dublin. Uh, we'll start with you, Kenny, over this overseas. Where are you at on Twitter? Yeah, you get me on at Sing No More, um, or you'll find me lurking around the forum as well. Uh, and uh, you may have bumped into me in Dublin. <laughs> All right, and Becky, how about you? You may have. Um, at B Myers on Twitter, M Y E R S. And if anybody's in Cleveland, come find us, people. Of course, that's only they'd have to be listening right now to get that. <laughs> Especially since we're taping, since we've already been to Cleveland. Yeah. Never mind. Cut that part out. <laughs> and that's okay. They will have been, they will have found you. As well. I was so confused. It was so good to see all of you, is what you're trying to say. Right. Matt, how about you? <laughs> I am I am at Matt McGee on Twitter. That is the best place to reach me. The worst place to reach me is Facebook Messenger. <laughs> me too, actually. <laughs> this is definitely not where you can reach me now. Right. Um, I'm... <laughs> I'm iChris on Twitter where I enunciate my words with terrible tweets. And uh, you can uh, find this episode at goodstuff.fm slash ATU2 slash number 41. You will, any live listeners will have be confused because there isn't an episode 40 yet. We're saving. It all worked out perfectly just like I planned a year ago that we'd have episode 40 at our at U2 40th, 40th celebration in Cleveland. So we'll be doing some sort of live podcast that you've already heard. So I'm not going to bother promoting anymore. <laughs> Uh, time travel is confusing uh, you can follow us on Twitter the the site that is at at U2 and facebook.com slash at U2.com and uh, just want a special thanks to Simon Peta at Simon Peta on Twitter for the uh, theme music that you're about to hear as we head out and uh, we'll see you again next time thanks for listening have a great day bye <laughs>